Everybody doing okay? You guys good? <laughs> All right, good. Glad you guys are here. Good to see you. Are you guys enjoying the weather change right now? Do you guys like that? So, so I hate it. Um, I, like, <laughs> I like it really, really hot. I just like hot weather. Um, and I thank you, the, whoever that was back there, thank you. Um, my wife loves the fall. She started buying all the like fall decor and uh, she's like, all right, sweaters. And I'm like, man, I hate that. I hate having to wear shoes. I hate not being able to wear shorts six days a week. Um, yeah, and just anyways, so that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I just wanted to see if there's any weirdos that like it just painfully hot. I would just like it painfully hot all the time. So, okay, we're in the book in, <laughs> we're in the book in Nehemiah. We've been working through this um, for a little bit, and we're getting, getting closer to the end here. We're, we're getting in the kind of final stages of it. If you haven't been here, it's a, a really, really simple story. It's not a super complex story. It's in the Old Testament. And what the story is, it's about a man named Nehemiah, who was a Jew, exiled to the area of modern-day Iraq. Biblically, it was called the area of Babylon. He ended up working for the king. <clears throat> he got permission from the, the Persian king, Artaxerxes, to travel back to his home city, Jerusalem, because he found out it was in ruins and he got permission to go back and help rebuild the city. Specifically, he did a lot more than this, but his biggest task was to rebuild the wall around the city. Because without the wall around the city, it was vulnerable, it wasn't a safe place to live, society couldn't flourish, okay? So that was his job. We see in chapter six that they complete the wall. After they complete the wall, chapter seven, they start to repopulate the city because now it's safe to live there. So the exiles come back. They start to repopulate the city. Chapter eight that we did last week, they celebrate the fact that God is so good that he would give them back their city, right? That's chapter eight. And then chapter nine, it's interesting. We're, kinda gonna, we're gonna see it flip a little bit. And in chapter nine, they're going to pray and cry out to God and they're gonna focus on their sin, Okay? the things that they have done wrong, not just them, but all the people that had come before them. So last week we talked about identity. The reason why we talked about identity is because at the end of chapter eight, they celebrate, uh, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. There's, there's all these different names for it, but it's the same thing. And it's a festival that helps remind the Jewish people of who they are in God, what God has done for them. So we asked ourselves last week, do we remember who we are in God? Do we remember what our true identity is, right? That we're only made in the image of God and nothing else. And if we're to protect that identity, we have to have walls around us, not literal walls, of course, but spiritual walls like prayer and the word of God and obedience to the word of God. Those are the walls we build around us to protect who we are in God. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're gonna talk about this. Very, very interesting chapter, chapter nine. The whole thing is basically a prayer and it's, it's really interesting. You're gonna see this kind of cyclical thing happen throughout chapter nine. It almost repeats itself over and over and over again and it's fascinating because it really lets us know a lot about how we act as humans. So we're gonna talk about can we break this cycle of not only doing sinful things, can we break the cycle of entitlement can we break the cycle of laziness, spiritual laziness? Can we do that? Because I feel like right now in our culture, we're, we're kind of trapped in this cycle a little bit right now. And so we're gonna ask and we're going to address this issue, can we get out of that cycle? Can we as individuals get out of this cycle of sin, entitlement, and spiritual laziness, apathy, okay? So again, glad you guys are here. You should have got notes, handouts at every door when you walked in. Everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, if you've downloaded that, just click on Sermon Notes. Everything's there, scripture and notes. Very, very convenient, okay? Um, if you have one of these things, this is called a book. Uh, this particular one's called the Bible. Um, if you go back towards the beginning in between the book of Ezra and Esther, you got the book of Nehemiah. And that's where we'll be in chapter nine today, okay? So I'm gonna pray. We'll start going through chapter nine. Again, I think you'll, I think you'll find it interesting. It's a very fascinating chapter. Okay, so let me pray and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. 
Father, this weekend is kind of a, a somber, interesting weekend, Lord, with um, September 11th being yesterday. Father, I pray that in times like this, God, you remind us, Lord, that, that we are blessed to be where we are. We have freedom, God. We have the opportunity to do what we're doing right now, and we, we thank you for that freedom, God. Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on us today, not just us, God, but for all the churches in our city, God. We pray that you touch our other campuses and the, the churches in those cities. Pray, God, that you keep your hand on our work in Uganda that we're highlighting this week, God, and all the work that Tara's doing over there in Jinja and in Kakira, God. Lord, that you just bless that and keep her safe. Lord, I pray that you keep all of us healthy. God, keep us strong, Lord, keep us unified. And we pray that our study of your word today, God, that it, that it not only honors you, but it brings us closer to you, God. We love you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. If you weren't here last week, uh, I, I've discovered that I'm not the best at pronouncing Hebrew names. Uh, Nehemiah throws a couple more in this chapter, so if I skip them, it's not because I don't love these people. I, I, I plan on hanging out with them eventually in eternity, but uh, I just don't know how to say their names correctly yet. I'm going to try. We'll see how it goes, though. All right, here we go. On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a fourth of the day, and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shab Shabaniah, it's pronounced Booney, I promise. It looks like bunny, it's Booney. Sherebiah, another Benai, Chanani, stood on the raised platform built for the Levites and cried out loudly to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, that guy, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, uh, said, stand up, blessed be the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. So again, if you were here last week, chapter eight was a party. I mean, they were told to celebrate, to make the best food, to drink the best wine, to share it with those around him. It was a celebration of God's goodness, right? And that's a good thing, that's fine. Now, after the celebration of how good God is, now we have to address how bad we can be. And that's what they're doing. They're intentionally addressing the sin in their lives because the people wanted to work to be holy people. They wanted to work to be the kind of people God wanted them to be. So some of the ways they would do this, and we, we do this at this church, they fasted, right? We do it at the beginning of every year. We're partnering with North Boulevard Church of Christ this year, which is neat, and both of our churches are gonna do a big fast. And so we fast, right? They did that. They would also put on old ratty sackcloths. They would put dirt in their hair. And the reason they would do that is it was, it was kind of a, a visible demonstration of the, the fasting and the, the anguish for sin that was going on in their hearts. So it was basically an outward expression of what was going on inwardly with them. So it's all, it also says that the Jews separated from the non-Jews. This isn't because they didn't love the non-Jews, right? But they wanted to separate from them. In the book of Ezra, it insinuates that some people actually divorced their foreign spouses, probably because they had a different belief system. I'm not gonna get into that today. But what they did is they probably literally separated themselves from the non-Jewish people. And the reason why is they were addressing the sins of the Jews. So if you weren't a Jew, you didn't have to do that. So they separated. The point was, was this. They owned their mistakes. We have a tendency nowadays when we slip up, right? guys, I do it too. If someone comes to me with a criticism, my first impulse is to be like, oh, bu -bu 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 -bu, you know, and like blame it on something else. And sometimes we just need to be like, you're right, I was wrong, right? So they own their mistake. They felt sorry for it. They confessed their mistakes. They repented to God, asked for his forgiveness, and they went to the word of God to say, okay, we went the wrong way. What is the correct way? That is the point of this, this chapter, basically, this intentional addressing of sin. 
They also cried out for help. Some of the men got on a stage that we see in chapter eight that was built for Ezra to read the Bible. They get on the stage and they start crying out to God for help, not just for themselves, but for their people. Now, in order to cry out to help for God, it takes us being humble and it takes us being desperate. And what is fascinating in our culture now, and and guys, I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about like the church at large. I don't think the church in the United States has reached this point of desperation yet. I don't see a lot of churches like hitting their knees and people crying out saying, God, forgive us of the sins of our land and our forefathers and ourselves. I don't know if we've reached that point yet. And so if we haven't reached that point yet, and I don't know if you've noticed or not, the world is rough right now. My question is, what does it take to get us to that point? When will we get to a point to where we say, God, we are screwing it up. We need help, right? What is it going to take? Is it going to take our, our entire economy collapsing? Will it take another September 11th? Will it take some huge catastrophe or our spouses walking out the door, or our kids running wild? What will it take for us to finally humble ourselves and say, God, we cannot do it without you? Here's the thing. Even if you're not doing bad, if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of people who are. So at the very least, we should find ourselves on our knees crying out for the people around us, our neighbors, our family members. Guys, have you, I don't know if maybe you, maybe you guys don't see it as much as we do at the church. There's a lot of death right now. People sick, people dying, a lot of confusion and hurt and division. And even if me and my family are okay, it breaks my heart that other people are not. And we need to find ourselves crying out to God for help. A second group of men get up, and these are the Levites, these are the priests. And they encourage the people to praise God in the middle of all the confusion, in the middle of all the hardships of culture that they were still supposed to praise God. Because listen, it's chaotic because we make it chaotic. But in the midst of all the chaos of humanity, God is still faithful. God is still good. And we often forget, guys, I'm talking about us, people who who claim to be Christians, if you claim to be a Christian in here. We often forget how good of a God that we serve because there's so much junk going around us all the time. And we forget like God is outside of our space and time. God is not shocked by anything that has happened in the last two years. He's not shocked by it. He always knew it was going to happen. And we need to step back and remember God is good, God is sovereign, he has a plan, he has not changed, he's perfect, and he's on my side, right? So we need to like get into a a posture to remember such things, that God is faithful. Now, everything from here out is a prayer, okay? He said, blessed be your name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and in all that is in them. You give life to all of them and all the stars of heaven worship you. You, the Lord, are the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. You changed his name to Abraham. You found his heart faithful in your sight and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, Heshites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have fulfilled your promise for you're righteous. For you saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh all of his officials and the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. You made a name for yourself that endures to this day. You divided the sea before them and they crossed it on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into raging waters. You led them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way that they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them, I love this, impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, 
and good statutes and commands. You revealed your holy Sabbath to them and gave them commands, statutes, and instructions through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from a rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Look at all these good things God had done for his people. So the priests, the Levites, led the Jewish people in this really, really long prayer. And what they wanted people to do is just amen them, which means you're, you're confirming you're agreeing with them, okay? Amen literally means so be it. And so they would say this prayer and people would go, amen, amen, amen. Now this prayer opens up with the fact that God is the only God. They say there is one God, you are the only God. Despite what human imagination can come up with, despite all the crazy stuff that we can worship, the fact is, is there is one God that created all things. Now, this may be the most offensive statement about Christianity. The most offensive thing about our faith, if you consider yourself a Christian here, is we must believe there is only one pathway to eternal life, and that is God. Amen. Everyone's still okay with that, right? Okay, good, just, just making sure. Because a lot of Christians have relented on this. But there is only one pathway to God. That starts off in Genesis chapter one and two, that one God created the heavens and the earth. It goes into the gospel where Jesus said, I am the only pathway to the Father. I'm the only path, right? And then it goes into the book of Revelation where we see every single knee will bow whether they believed in God on this earth or not because they will see that there was only one true savior, okay? So it starts off with there is only one God. Now the Jewish people believe in kind of a tiered universe, I would say we probably do too, but here's what that means. This can be taken out of context. You'll hear like hyper-charismatic churches say, well, we're going to the highest heaven, right? But all this stuff is taken way out of context. All that means in this scripture is the highest heaven is the invisible home of God. What that means is you can't hop on a rocket and go to like deep space and see like God sitting on his throne somewhere out in the universe. That's, that's not how it works. It's invisible. So the highest heaven is the dwelling place of God. The heavens is the visible universe. So when you go out tonight and you see the stars and the moon, that is the visible heavens. And then of course you have the earth, which is the earth. And the reason why those things are mentioned is because it goes back to Genesis one and two. God created all of those things, okay? So not only did God create everything, the creator, but God is personal. So not only is he powerful and magnificent, he also cares about what he has created. If you weren't here last week, we talked about this. You and I are the only thing made in the image of the creator God. The only thing with the breath of God breathed into us. And because of that, God wants to have a relationship with us. And so we see this all throughout the word of God. And to the Jewish people, the, the starting point of this was Abraham. He was the first Jew. That's where the Jewish people started was with Abraham. And so the fact that God would choose Abraham, build a relationship with him, that shows that God is good. To the Christian, that would be Jesus Christ. The fact that God would come down to earth in flesh, look us in the eyes, give us the perfect example of how to live and handle adversity, show us what the kingdom of God truly is, give us clarity, that's how we should, should see that beauty and that amazement of how God wants a relationship with us. So not only is God powerful, not only is God personal, God is also faithful to us. Because God made a promise to Abraham to preserve his descendants, we see God's faithfulness. If you go back and read the Old Testament, man, the Jewish people, and I'm not knocking on them because we do it too, they were not the most faithful people. In fact, we're gonna see in the rest of Nehemiah, they made some really, really, really bad mistakes. But God was good. God saw them in captivity in Egypt. They were in captivity for hundreds and hundreds of years. God delivered them through Moses out of Egypt to the promised land. The Egyptians tried to hold them back, so God put plagues on them to try to humble them. Didn't happen, so he miraculously delivered them, split the Red Sea, provided all their needs on the way to the promised land. On the way to their promised land, God even spoke to their leader, a guy named Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. He went up on a mountain and they could see the, the, the cloud of God's spirit and they knew that their, their boy Moses was up there talking to God himself. 
And here's what's interesting, I love this, that it says that God gave Moses impartial, reliable, and good instructions on how to live. That is this book. Impartial, reliable, good instructions on how to live. So what we see is for the people of God, God provided for them spiritually, God provided for them socially, God provided governmentally for them or politically for them. God even miraculously provided food and water for them on their way to a promised land that they were to dwell. It's exactly what our life is with God. If we walk with God, he provides all these things for us in the hope that we have a land that we will dwell in, right? And so that's what he did for his people. Now, from here on out, we're gonna see but a lot. One T, not two. We'll see, but, that was very immature, wasn't it? Sorry. So you'll read all these things and it'll say, but us, right? Or, but this happened. And so here's where we get our first one. God did all these amazing things. Now look at verse 16. But our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. And you did not abandon them, even after they cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they had committed terrible blasphemies you did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. During the day, the pillar of cloud never turned away from them, guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from, the mouths, from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness for 40 years and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. You gave them kingdoms and peoples and established boundaries for them. They took possession of the land of, king, of the king of Sion and Heshbon and the land of King Og of Bashan. You multiplied their descendants like the stars of the sky, and you brought them to the land you told their ancestors to go in and possess. So their descendants went in and possessed the land. You subdued the Canaanites who inhabited the land before them and handed their kings and the surrounding peoples over to them to do as they pleased with them. Listen, they captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of well-supplied houses cisterns out of rock, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate and they were filled. They became prosperous and delighted in your great goodness. Look how good God is. So here's the thing. If it wasn't clear last week, maybe it's more clear this week. The problem is never God. The problem is always us. God is always gracious. He's giving. He's clear to his people, but even when he's gracious, giving, and clear, we have a tendency to act arrogantly. And the Jewish people did not listen to his commands. It says they refused to listen, and they had forgotten the wonderful things God had done for them. Isn't it fascinating? They saw a pillar of fire lead them through the desert at night, and you forget those things. And we can read that and go, man, what a bunch of dummies, right? How many miraculous and amazing things has God done in our lives that we tend to forget over time, right? See, here's the thing. We have a tendency as humans to refuse to listen to anything that doesn't affirm what we already believe. <laughs> I get a kick out of people who come into church and are like, hey, what's your belief statement? I wanna make sure I already agree with everything before I come in here. What's the point in even having a pastor or teacher if you refuse to learn anything new, right? It's like the audacity if you're going to get your undergrad at, I don't know, let's say MTSU. It's your first year there, you're a freshman, right? Maybe you're a good writer, maybe you're even really good at grammar. 
But after your professor with a PhD gets done speaking, you walk up and go, I don't wanna write that way. Thanks for your time, but eh, I don't agree. It's just kind of arrogant. Now listen, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything I say. But when I read straight out of this book and you're like, I don't think so, I'm like, you're not disagreeing with me, right? That, that's between you and the Lord. That's an arrogance that you're not listening to what God wants to say to you. We also have constant distractions around us. We may be the most distracted people that have ever existed, right? We have so many distractions around us. It's hard to hear God. So not only did the people refuse to listen to God, they even made false gods. So they became arrogant, they became lazy in their faith. And listen, they would create gods, I find this humorous, they would create gods and attribute their success to the God they just made. So hey, I just made you, but thanks for giving me everything that I have, right? It makes absolutely no sense. And I don't know if you know, if you know this, it's not like the movie, The Ten Commandments, where they had that huge golden cow and they're like <laughs> riding it in the desert when Moses is up there. The actual golden calf, they said, was about the size of a football. So all these millions of Jews were holding up this football-sized cow and they're like, that's why we made it out of Egypt. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But again, look at our society. We make idols and gods out of virtually everything. What we have done in American society recently is we have made our God is the individual. I say this all the time because it's true. That's why we have this rise of atheists right now in our nation. I'm not trying to make fun of atheists, but we have a bunch of Christian, I call them Christian atheists, who say they believe in the word, but really they're living their life for themselves, right? And so what we have is we have a generation that we have built everything in our culture to glorify the individual. And this does exactly what Paul said in the book of Romans, that there will come a time where we don't worship the creator, we worship the creation. It's all about us. But even through this, God was faithful. Even though the Jews had done all these blasphemous, terrible things, it says that God did not abandon them in the wilderness because of his great compassion. <clears throat> not only that, they had all these victories. Their families flourished. They overcame evil kingdoms and they started to prosper and they were still moving towards the promised land and all these things were still going really, really well. And for a time, the people humbled themselves and they were grateful. This is important. As things were looking good and as they always seemed to succeed, the Jewish people were delighted in God's goodness. So, so here's the thing about humanity, and we have seen it a lot in the last couple of years. Maybe we, this is a result of decades of us having it so good and so easy in the United States. There are two responses to ease and comfort. We can either thank God for the ease and comfort and prosperity that we have experienced, or we will slip into apathy and laziness. And guys, I love you, and it's not you because you're right here. I will speak to a lot of people who may be watching me on their couch right now on YouTube. If you live within driving distance of this building, you don't need to be watching me on TV right now. You need to be in the building. You need community. We need that because we have reached a place to where it has gotten just way too easy to be like, well, when I'm not on vacation, I'll go to church, right? I'll just watch it later. It's recorded. Well, when I'm not at this, there's always a reason to not do something, right? And so in our culture, it is, well, it's football season. Well, it's summer. Well, my kid's playing travel ball. Well, I just don't feel like getting up this morning. And what ends up happening is, is we have lost everything. Listen, YouTube, that is not church. This is church. You need to be amongst humans. When things fall apart, you just can't get online and be like, hey, YouTube community, let's get, no, you need this. This is important. And so the question for us is when we slide into those times of ease and comfort, will we thank God that we get a little bit of time to breathe or will we slide into apathy? And will we still connect to God when times are difficult? I hope so, but we need to be careful. Look at this. Guys, this may be one of the most damning scriptures I have discovered in a long time about our current culture. This was written by Moses a long, long time ago. Re Listen to this, this is amazing. When God brings you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, a land with large and beautiful cities that you didn't build, houses full of every good thing that you didn't fill them with, cisterns that you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive, olive groves that you didn't plant, be careful not to forget God. Listen, 
We live in the most free, prosperous nation that has ever existed. And I didn't build this nation. I didn't even fight for this nation. My grandfather fought in World War II. My father fought in Vietnam. My father-in-law was a sergeant major for 22 years. They did amazing things to preserve the freedom and prosperity that we have. I didn't do any of that. I live in a city that I didn't build. I drink fresh water from a cistern that I didn't dig. I have prosperity that I had nothing to contribute to. And what has happened in this wonderful nation that we live in, I know it's not perfect right now, guys, but there's still no better place on planet Earth to live. And Christianity tanks in our nation because we didn't have any stake in building the prosperity that we enjoy. Guys, and instead, we have forgotten the God that has given so much grace to us to experience the wonderful lifestyles that we have, right? I don't care if you're the poorest person in here, you're richer than anyone I've ever met in Africa. We experience unbelievable prosperity. And what we have done is we have forsaken God, right? And Christianity is tanking in the United States because we've become entitled, selfish people that are enjoying the benefits of previous generations, right? And what they've done. You guys ever seen uh, Inception? I'm not gonna ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. My wife hates movies that don't have clear endings. <laughs> and so when we were in the theater, I love, uh, I, I love Chris Nolan, I love all his movies. We're watching Inception. And at the end, my wife, who's a very, very timid quiet person, stands up and screams in the theater, why? <laughs> and if you've seen Inception, you know, you know exactly what she was doing. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Look at this. They flung your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. In their time of distress, they cried out to you and you heard from heaven. In your abundant compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the power of their enemies. But it, listen, but as soon as they had relief, they went back to what was evil in your sight. So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and rescued them many times in your compassion. You warned them to turn back to your law, but they acted arrogantly and they would not obey your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, which a person will live by if he does them. They stubbornly resisted, stiffened their necks and would not obey. You were patient with them for many years for your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they wouldn't listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Over and over and over again, the cycle goes. So the Jewish people slipped right back into disobedience and rebellion, look at this, and flung God's laws behind their back. They even went so far to start killing the people who delivered the word of God to them. So what we see in this part of chapter 19, or chapter nine, I'm sorry, is we not only see that there is a cycle of sin, but it starts to escalate as time goes on. Now listen, if you think there is any new sin in the world, there is not. All the evil things that you see right now in the world has always existed. There's always been extreme sexual sin, extreme violence. Those things have always, always existed. The escalation, though, is that now it is becoming more and more a part of normal society and culture. It is escalating, and boy, it's escalating at a pretty rapid pace right now. You're seeing an escalation of the acceptance of sin. And so because of that, it says that God handed them over. Look at this, this is important. Because the people of God didn't want anything to do with God, he turned them over to enemies who oppressed them. Romans chapter 13 says everyone in power is there because God has allowed them to be. Now listen, I'm not talking about just this administration, the last one or the ones for the last 40 years. But there are times when God's people will not be humble. God will allow corrupt leaders to be in power to humble his people. The question is, will we take note? Will we listen? 
Maybe a similar thing has been happening in the United States since about the late 60s, right? Maybe a similar thing has been happening here. We call ourselves a nation under God. I say this all the time. It's not because I don't love where I live, but this is an audacious statement to say that we are a people under God's rule. Absolutely not, absolutely not. That's why Christianity is tanking record numbers in our nation because we do not follow the teachings of God. And so sometimes we run from God during trials, right? When times get tough, some people run. Other people, right, they run to God during times of trial, but when things get placid again, they slip right back into the sin that God helped them get out of. So the cycle continues over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And because of this, they were overcame by their enemies because of their arrogance and their sin. But remarkably, God continued to forgive them because he is abundantly compassionate, abundantly compassionate, and he did not abandon his people. Now, here's where it gets real serious. So now our God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant, do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings, our leaders, our priests, our prophets, our ancestors and all of our people from the days of the Assyrian kings until today. You are righteous concerning all that has happened to us. He's basically saying we deserved everything we got because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your laws or listen to your commands and warnings that you gave them. When they were in their kingdom, with your abundant goodness that you gave them, and in the spacious and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Listen, listen to this. Here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. Here we are, slaves in it, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set before us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. You'd think that was a letter written last week, would you not? So now this big prayer becomes more personal. They move on from the mistakes of the past to their current situation. And the only thing that the Jews had to fall on was the grace of God because people have proven over time that we fail apart from God. So here's the thing. God's grace should move us to separate from sin. The fact that God is so good to us should not push us to, be, uh, uh, to take advantage of God, if you will. There's this big misconception of Jesus. Jesus isn't some like wussy, like herbal tree, herbal tea, tree, that'd be a feat, herbal tea, drinking hippie. That's not who God is, right? God is magnificent, he is powerful, he is righteous, he is good, he is compassionate, but he does not tolerate evil, okay? And so we need to make sure that when we understand how gracious God is good, that that should push us to move away from evil because the more we get towards God, the, the farther we will move from evil. Man, this clicker. So, because the people of God did not obey the laws of God or listen to the commands of God and the warnings of God, this is so important, listen, their prosperity and freedom in a land that God gave them was sacrificed under the rule of a non-believing king. Do I have to expound on this much? God gave a certain group of people land where they prospered and they lived free, but because these people in this land did not submit to God, their harvest, their prosperity, their hard work was benefited by rulers above them that did not worship God. I hope you see what I'm talking about, right? I hope maybe the next time you learn that the average senator makes about six times more than the average constituent that they represent, and that if you think Washington, D.C. lives by biblical laws, you're sorely mistaken, that the harvest of the people is going to people that do not honor God with it. 
because our sin as a people compromises the good things that God has for us. And God has a perfect will, but we have to choose to walk in that will. We, not, we cannot complain about the bad things that happen to us if we choose to live outside of the will of God. We cannot. And so look what the Levites say. We're in great distress. The people of God had to reach a point of desperation. Now listen, even if you talk to an atheist or a non-believer out there, right? And you say, what do you think, what do you think about the state of America right now? They'll tell you it's, it's, it's bad, right? Anyone with an ear to hear and an eye to see will say it is divided. It is chaotic. It is nuts, right? We're not moving in the right direction. So listen, it's pretty easy to see that we're a broken culture, a broken society. The real question is, how do we respond to the chaos? How do we respond to the chaos? Will we be humble and hit our knees and say, God, we fail without you. God, it is not working without you. Will we not only get on our knees and say it is not working without you, will we humble ourselves and live out the teachings of this book? Will we submit to what it says? Or, I don't think this is gonna happen, but what we've seen in the last couple of years is when it levels out and things are easy, you would think that people are like, oh, praise God, right? But what we've seen over the years is a lot of people have just slidden away from God. It's not because of masks or no masks or fear of COVID or whatever the case is. A lot of people in the last two years just got really, really lazy. Really, really lazy, right? And everything else takes priority over the church. Guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really mean for a second and, and please forgive me, but you're here and so maybe I'm not speaking to you, but maybe someone will hear it and it'll, it'll resonate. All of you who have children and you put their sports above church and you put your vacations above church and you put all these things above church, it's all fine and good until your kids start running wild. It's all fine and good until, until God was never a priority and you're on the brink of divorce. But at that point, hopefully you'll come and see us. Hopefully at that point you'll come in and the church will have some priority again, but also hopefully by that point it won't be too late. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm glad your kids are involved with stuff. My kids are involved with stuff. But above anything that I can teach my kids, if I do not teach them to build a relationship with God, I have failed in the most epic way. In the most epic way. If we as, as, as a couple, my wife and I, have not made the church community a priority in our life, I have failed my wife in the most epic way. Is it a dedication? Yeah, right? It's an hour and a half of your week. You need to be here. You need to be part of this community. Because what happens is, is when we don't humble ourselves and say, God, I need not only you, I need my brothers and sisters, right? Galatians 6.1, we walk in this hand in hand, right? Fulfills the law of Christ. And all these people who are not making it a priority right now, guys, you're reaping, you're, you're, you're planting things that eventually you're gonna have to reap and it's gonna be ugly. It's gonna be real ugly. The first thing we need to do this is this though, we have to address the evil in us. Do we understand, listen, we're gonna keep going in the same cycles over and over and over again. We're gonna keep tanking over and over and over again until we humble ourselves and not only confess our sins. Listen, repentance is not just asking for God's forgiveness. That's a half definition of it. The other half of that definition is we have to move away from that sin. The word repent literally means to about face and walk in a different direction. We have to walk away from that sin. It's not enough if you're struggling with lust in this room. It's not enough to say, God, forgive me. I looked at another man again or I looked at another woman again. We have to train our eyes to avert themselves. We have to shut the laptop. We have to not have those inappropriate conversations, whatever the case may be. We have to take steps. And if we do not truly repent and address our sin, we're never gonna find peace. We're never gonna find contentment. We're always gonna live in shame and embarrassment and frustration. Whatever the case may be, we have to make a change. Listen, again, I'm not trying to be a downer, right? But do we also understand that there are eternal ramifications if we choose to live in a sinful lifestyle? Is God gracious and quick to forgive? Absolutely. If chapter nine teaches us anything, it's that God is quick to forgive and gracious. But there will come a time where every single one of us will stand in front of the great throne of judgment. And God, this is according to God's own words, Jesus said it, 
he will hold us accountable for every word and deed unless we have asked for forgiveness of those things. If we have asked for forgiveness, we don't have to worry about it, they're gone. If we have not repented of our sin, we're gonna answer for everything we've done and every word we've said. That's scary, isn't it? So, is God gracious? Yes, are we gonna be held accountable one day? Yes. So let me ask you this. When things are going well, we have two ways to respond to things going well. Placid, smooth. We can either say, thank you, God, right? That I get to spend a little bit more time with my family. Thank you, God, that we have some money in the bank. Thank you, God, that I live in a safe neighborhood and I got a reliable car, drive a Toyota, right? Thank God for Toyota. Thank you, God, that life is pretty good, right? (laughs) Will we either thank God for those times when it's comfortable, or will we start to slide back into our old ways? Again, I'm just gonna talk real with you this morning. Over the years, I have seen people miraculously healed physically. I've seen people miraculously dealed of alcoholism or or, uh, delivered of alcoholism and drug abuse and sexual addiction. I have seen God do miraculous things in the lives of people only to see them come in and get comfortable and go right back to it and disappear. I'm not talking about a one-time mistake. I'm talking about going back to Egypt, right? Going right back to the bondage that God delivered them out of. I have seen God miraculously heal marriages only to see that couple come, be real strong for a while, and then slip right back out. And a couple of years later, when they're divorced, they'll come back. But by then, they're already divorced. It's already too late. How will we handle the good times? That's a test. Sometimes good times are a test. How has the United States handled all the prosperity that we've been given all of these decades and centuries? I'd say not very well. Maybe the worst thing that has ever happened to American culture is how easy we have had it. Do you know that sometimes God throws adversity in the mix to get your attention? Do you know sometimes the best thing that could ever happen to you is a speed bump or an adversity or a tragedy? It may be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. So that's the second question. How will we handle the good times? Well, how will we handle the bad times? When bad times come, will we humble ourselves and in desperation cry out for God? Or are we just coming back to church to make sure that our wife gets back with us, right? And it's not really about God at all. It's really selfishness. It's really what you want, right? How will we handle adversity? Will we push away or will we press into God? humble ourselves and submit to him in what he has for us. The question is simply this, in all seasons of our life, do we trust the Lord? In all seasons of our life, is community a priority? Is prayer a a priority? Is getting to know God a priority? Let me ask you this, what if it never gets easier? You ready for that? I don't know if it's ever going to be easier for you to be a Christian. I don't know if tomorrow will be easier than today for you to be a Christian. So if our roots are not planted now, if we get so easily offended because I get up here and raise my voice about sexual sin or anger or racism or whatever the case may be, if that just pushes you away and you just can't handle the word of God or me speaking it, right? If our roots aren't planted now, if we don't love people now, if you don't love people now, it's only gonna get harder to love people, I guarantee you. If we're not connected now, if we can't speak our faith now, if we can't stand by our guns now, we're gonna be in deep trouble in the future. We're gonna be in deep trouble. How are we going to do in all seasons? And then the big question is this. Listen, here's the thing. You're all gonna make mistakes. Until Jesus comes back and gives us a glorified body with a glorified heart and a glorified mind, we are going to make mistakes. Now, that's not the same as living a lifestyle of sin. We can break the cycle of living in rebellion to God. We can break the cycle of living in sin. How? I say this virtually every single weekend. It's the simplest thing you'll ever heard. It's Christianity 101. The first way we break the cycle of sin is we have to admit that we sin. We have to admit that we sin. We have to feel remorse for that sin. And we have to take the steps to get away from that sin. One of the ways that helps us with that is that we pray. We talk to God. We learn about God through his word and we live out what the word says. It's a relationship. 
That's what it is. Listen, if you find someone in this room that's been married for 45, 50 years and you go, how did you guys have such a successful marriage? You're like, we don't know, right? So one day we woke up, we've been married for 50 years, isn't that crazy? No, you have to work at marriage. It's a relationship, it's intentional. People have long marriages because they went on dates, because they made sure intimacy was a part of their relationship, because they talked and communicated and learned more about each other. Whenever people say they fall out of love, that's the biggest bunch of crap in the world. You don't fall out of love. You've chosen not to intentionally fall more into love with your partner. And it's the same thing with God. It's a relationship with him. And we have to talk to him. And we have to have times of intimacy with him where we confess and cry and really get real. We have to laugh with him. We have to read about him. This is the mind of God on paper. It's clear instruction on how we are to live. What it boils down to is this. Can you get out of the cycle? Can we get out of the rut? Absolutely we can. But it takes us intentionally building a relationship with God. It means that we may have to put it in our phone to read the Bible every day. It may mean that we need to block off 15 minutes every single morning to pray. It may mean that we have to intentionally take time to pray with our kids, pray with our spouse, be at church, right? Be here. That we have to intentionally take these steps. And if we will intentionally build a relationship with God, it will change our lives. It will get us out of that spiral, that cycle. But if we are not intentionally building a relationship with him, we cannot blame God when we're ill-equipped for what life throws at us. We cannot blame God for our society and our family situations and the things going on in us because we have not intentionally built a relationship with him. It has to be on purpose. We have to do it on purpose, right? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you are not a believer, maybe you're asking questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Carl is up here. If you have any questions for Carl, he'd love to talk with you, okay? If you're online, send an email to info at experiencecc.com. We'll, we'll get together with you. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage that would like to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything in your life, come up here and get prayer. The last thing is we have communion at all the tables around you. Um, today, because we got a couple of extra minutes, we're gonna get our communion today. If you'll come back to your seat, Pastor Greg's gonna lead us in communion, okay? But that is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone is welcome to get that as long as you have repented for your sins, okay? But I wanna pray with you. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord. I pray, God, that you light a fire in all of us, including myself, God, to be more intentional about talking to you about reading the word, about getting involved in the church, about loving our families well and building a relationship with other Christians, God, and non-believers, Lord. I pray that you just light a fire in us to be more purposeful, God, to, to be more intentional with our time. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. Lord, you're so gracious to us. I, God, I pray that you protect everyone in this room. Keep them healthy, God. Keep them strong. Keep them focused, Lord. And um, Lord, we just thank you for our time together. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys, you're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.